Hello and welcome. My name is Joe Frost and here with my co-host Peter Linus, this is Being Human. This week, we are being joined by Natalie Williams, who leads the uh, team at Jubilee Plus, which is the charity that helps churches engage with poverty and alleviate poverty in their communities. Natalie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So we always kick off with the invitation to tell some stories so that we get a better idea of who you are and where you're coming from. What stories do we need to know about you to start to get a sense of who Natalie Williams is? Uh, Yeah, well, I thought of two things, really. One is that I grew up in relative poverty in a really working class family. And I actually became a Christian when I was 15 because I went to church because I liked a boy. So, (laughs) um, yeah, I don't have this this story about being on a deep spiritual quest. I wasn't really looking for Jesus. Um, In fact, I absolutely was not looking for Jesus, but... I didn't end up with a boy, but I did end up with Jesus. And that has been the better thing by a long way. Um, So that's one of them. And then the other thing that I think really helps you get a sense of who I am and what I'm about is that in the winter before the pandemic, um, I actually managed to go 46 days in a row being fed by other people. So I didn't cook for myself at all for 46 days. I, in the words of my mum, sponged and scrounged. Um, but probably in the words of my church family, uh, it just enjoyed community and family life by being fed. Didn't have to cook for myself for 46 days. Could have kept going a lot longer, I reckon. But um, obviously the pandemic didn't really help me with that. Wow. That's fascinating. I'm going to try that. I think that's a good one. And actually, I invited myself. That's the secret to invite yourself into people's homes. Um and we're going to talk in a moment about some of the challenges in the church. But actually, you've started on something really positive. Like, what is it about the church that you find so compelling, apart from 46 days of meals in a row? <laughs> I just, uh, I have found family in the church. I've found belonging. I have found just such a deep level of acceptance and community. And, and yeah, I guess I think family really is the best word. And particularly even now, you know, so I've been a Christian uh, 30 years and I'm a single woman I live on my own and just the sense of these are my people these are the people who get me these are the people who rub me up the wrong way these are the people I uh, argue with and laugh with and cry with and enjoy life with and go deep with um, yeah I, I love the local church I love that God has chosen to put a bunch of people together who have nothing particularly special about them in and of themselves. Uh, But he's called us to be together and to co-labor with Christ. And I just think what a joy that we get to do that together. And that it's not on any one of us to change the world because Jesus is changing the world and he's doing it through his church, which is a community and family. I love that. So I'm with you. I totally love it too. But you've also talked about in your writings, some of the challenges that we encounter in the church. And one of those is is around class. And it's we talk often a lot about the gender divide and about race. Uh, and class does come up, I don't think, as often. Um, but yeah, it's a massive issue in the church. Like, Talk to us about what you your own experiences and, and where those barriers are coming around the issue of class. 
Yeah, so um, when I was a kid, I lived on the 16th floor in a block of council flats. It was actually the top floor, so you could call it the penthouse, but we didn't have any central heating. There was one phone in the whole block of flats. Um, I was had free school meals. I, um, you know, was in poverty by UK standards, and I didn't really know that until I became Christian. And it was only when I joined the church that I suddenly realised there are people who this is not what their life is like. And I found it so hard to feel like I fitted in and belonged in the family of God in the early days as a Christian, probably actually in my first decade as a Christian, because everyone else was so different to me. And it meant things like if I was asked my opinion on, say, the Sunday sermon, for example, if someone asked me what I thought, I just genuinely thought they wanted an honest answer. So if I found it boring, I would just say I was a bit bored. Or if they told stories about golf or cricket or whatever, things that I had no real understanding of and, and also wasn't particularly interested in, then I would say I didn't really get that. I didn't really feel like I could relate to it. And I didn't realise that people actually thought I was quite rude. And I wasn't trying to be rude. I, I just assumed if someone asked me a question, they wanted an honest answer. But then also I found it difficult with things like people invited me around for dinner, which is lovely. And as I've shared, I love going around <laughs> other people's houses for dinner. Um, you know, Jesus invited himself to other people's houses. And I, it's one of the ways I most like Jesus is that I invite myself around <laughs> to people's houses for dinner. But in the early days, I had never seen food served, like, you know, potatoes in one dish, vegetables in another, meat in another. And when you're the guest, nice, polite, middle class Christians always say, oh, you go first because you're the guest. And I would have no idea what to do. I'd never seen food served like that. I'd never seen people use napkins or serviettes at just a regular meal time. Like that was something you might do on Christmas Day, but I, I hadn't seen multiple sets of cutlery, although I had seen the film Pretty Woman, so I did know that you go from the outside in. Um, but this, it was so, so the very things people were doing to try and make me feel like I belonged were often the very things that were making me feel like I didn't fit in and I was excluded. And so some of those class barriers, the way people talk about money, the way people talk about property, like just this assumption that you work, that you own a house, that you have a garden. That happened even in lockdown. People are like, oh, you're enjoying time in the garden. So like, I haven't got a garden. I live in a flat um, and it's not on the ground floor. But there's just these assumptions. And the thing is, with those natural parts of conversation where obviously no one's trying to upset you or offend you, they can inadvertently be telling you you're different to everyone else. And so for me, that's been a real barrier to feeling a sense of belonging in the church and something that I, I feel like overcoming it has not been trying to fit in because that is what it was from the outset. I would try and fit in. I tried to become middle class. I tried to change myself and look like everyone else around me. I thought I had to conform to the image of the middle class Christian instead of conform to the image of Jesus. And so now what's happened and the reason I have stayed in church life is I think because I've actually, by the grace of God, learned to just go, do you know what? I don't fit in. I am different to the majority and God's put me here. So that's fine. And God wants me in his family. So if others don't, they, they kind of got to get used to me being here. How do we wrestle with that then as, as a wider church? I mean, one is it an issue? Is the church in the UK predominantly middle class? And I've seen stats that seem to suggest it is much more uh, disproportionately university educated. How much of that is people come to faith and then aspire to a better life and move that direction? How much of that is just that's where we do our mission and therefore we're not good at crossing the divide? Like help us understand 
what is really happening on the ground like what in our churches around this question yeah so i think it's both actually i think what happens uh, to some people is what happened to me which is you become a christian and you feel like to fit in you've got to become like everyone else around you so a load of people told me you need to get on the property ladder um i ended up going to university because it's what all the christians around me were doing so i thought that i had to do that and to be honest i had a miserable time I was utterly broke because I didn't have any financial support from my family. Um, my fa- no one in my family had ever been before, so I had no guidance, no help. And I, I spent most of my time, like to- I totally backslid from God because I couldn't figure out how to live like that. I had no frame of reference for it. And looking back now, I'm glad I went. But I know that I went because I felt I had to, because I felt like I had to become middle class to fit in in the church. And so I think part of it is kind of, upward mobility or social mobility or whatever which is just such a funny thing because it's just not something we see in the bible um like obviously jesus transforms our lives and obviously jesus has transformed my lives in some ways that are good where i have a stability uh, that i didn't have growing up um but does jesus want me to get to the point where i own a big house and have a hot tub i'm pretty sure he's not that bothered about that sort of stuff does jesus want to lift me out of my community um and so that if I had kids I could send them to the best schools and I could live in the nicest area again pretty sure it's not his priority for me um in fact you know in Corinthians it talks about not trying to get away from where you were when you were saved it it says don't try and kind of I'm paraphrasing but don't try and escape don't uh feel the need you know if you're if you're a slave you can stay as a slave which obviously is one of the more probably controversial things that it says, but if you're free, you can stay free. If, you know, I don't think God wants us all just to move into the nice areas, move away from deprivation, move away from poverty. Because when we do that, who's left in those communities then? So if we've all just abandoned them, then normally what happens is that m- nice middle class people start moving into them to try and see people one for Jesus, but don't know how to relate to the lives of the people who are living there and then are trying to be something they're not. I think part of the beauty of the church is that we are called to be diverse. I love the fact that in Revelation, we see that our diversity will be preserved for all eternity. So we see that we're going to be able to know that every tribe, every tongue, every people, which often gets left out of that verse when we quote it, you know, every nation, our diversity, our difference is going to be preserved for all eternity as part of us glorifying Jesus. So I don't think we're supposed to conform to the image of each other right now. I think our diversity and our unity within that diversity is supposed to be what draws people to Jesus. It's supposed to be something that tells the world there's something different about that group of people. So I do think we shouldn't be trying to get people to become middle class or to become anything that they're not. Our goal is becoming like Jesus, which is about mostly heart issues, internal um, change that then leads to outward transformation. So, yeah, I spend my money on different things these days to the things I spent my money on when I was before I was a Christian or when I was an early Christian. But I don't think that having loads of money in the bank is my goal, mm. although there are people who would tell me that should be my goal. Is that if that makes some sort of sense? Yeah, it makes an awful lot of sense. I really liked that idea that you were saying about how when we're a disciple of Jesus, it's not becoming like the people around us, but it's becoming more like him. Um, And in your book, Invisible Divides, you talk a lot about kind of the values of the class and the culture 
um, that that you come from, but also then you you recognize in the church. And I think that's one of the things that we've talked about with a number of the guests on this podcast, and we spent a lot of time talking about is how do you unpick that? How do you unpick the the good values from your culture, but recognize them partly as they are a reflective good uh, value set and characterization that we see from God, but but also recognize that that's interspersed and intermixed with some slightly distorted or fragmented values within a culture that they don't come part and parcel. How do we start to unpick and recognize the values that we carry for what they are, but also affirm different expressions that we may see in other classes and other cultures? Yeah, great question. I think it starts with looking at the Bible more than we look at our own habits or traditions. I I think so hospitality is a good example. You know, uh, when I was a kid, you walked in and out of each other's homes and often, depending on the layout of the home, if the kitchen was before the living room, you helped yourself to a drink, you helped yourself to some biscuits, because I was a kid, so biscuits were the thing. And then you went through and said hello. So you really were just welcomed in. And if you were in someone's home when a meal was getting served, you got fed. And it wasn't like a big deal. It, it was. I don't even think you'd have been asked, "Do you want to stay for dinner?" I think if you were there, you just got dinner put in front of you. It, it was there was an assumption. Then when I became a Christian, I started getting invited to dinner in people's houses, as I mentioned. And so that would often be like seven thirty p.m. on a weekday evening, a Christian o'clock. And I didn't learn till I'd been a Christian for over ten years that it's polite to take a bottle of wine or something to. You're supposed to contribute something. To me, that doesn't seem like hospitality because then I'm bringing something. So mm. I didn't really get that. But also, I never knew when you're supposed to leave, but I knew that you were supposed to leave at some point. And so for my first at least decade as a Christian, I thought Christian hospitality, God, the Bible tells me to be hospitable. And what hospitality looks like is you invite someone around for dinner at a set time. They bring something to contribute and they leave, hopefully, you know, 10 o'clock, definitely by 11. Um, but. So what it looks like to unpick some of this is neither of those is right or wrong. The Bible is not prescriptive that hospitality looks like just keeping your front door open. Anyone can walk in and help themselves to your biscuits. But it also doesn't have to be here's a set time and you have to bring something. And so I think just realizing that we don't have it right about everything or that sometimes there's just no right way. So Mm -hmm. even with my example I gave of me being rude by being honest, what I've learned is that. Christian maturity and Christ-likeness is that I value honesty, which is what I grew up with. So if someone asked me a question, even now if someone asked me how I found a Sunday sermon, if I didn't enjoy it, I'm not going to lie. But I've learned that there are nicer ways to say things than just the blunt, it was rubbish, I was bored out of my mind, that I don't have to be as harsh. So it's it sounds like compromise, but it's not really compromise. It's just looking at, ah, oh, okay. It's good that I'm honest. That's a godly attribute. But other people can interpret that as rudeness. And I'm not right and they're wrong. And they're not right and I'm wrong. But actually, I could maybe moderate my language because I know that it is going to cause them to stumble if I go in bluntly. And, you know, the Apostle Paul is really clear on that, isn't he? If it's what you eat causes your brother or sister to stumble, don't eat it. Mm -hmm. But and I think there's something of other centeredness. So it starts in 
what does the Bible say? And where's the Bible clear cut that this is a right or wrong, a sin or holiness issue? But where is their freedom, for example, with hospitality to do it however we want to do it? But so you start there by looking at the Bible, but then you also start by looking at each other and going, help me understand you. Mm. Like, tell me how church is for you. Tell me how um, Sunday meetings are for you. Tell me how hospitality is for you. Tell me what offends you in church. What? And you've got to be like kind of a bit thick skinned and soft hearted to take that sort of criticism, especially if you work in church life. It's even harder then, I think, if you're a church leader. But actually, we need to understand each other. And we only do that by talking honestly and openly and asking good questions. Um, so, yeah, I think start with the Bible, then talk to other people. That's kind of how we start to unpick this. One of the, You touched upon it there. You're speaking bluntly. But I think uh, I think you've written about saying, but as a female, that's also perceived differently because you've talked about the gender and the class kind of combination. And somebody grew up in an all-male household, went to an all-male school, and now the father of daughters. Uh, you know, just does change your perspective and how you view things suddenly like i literally didn't know another way and one like that's just the reality of what i grew up in was a very male dominated world in which everything seems to go your way and then somebody points out like even the basics you know as somebody who's trained as a lawyer when when i get stopped by the police in a situation i assume i have the upper hand in that conversation i don't, I don't assume it in a i know what i'm doing it's never crossed my mind what it feels like to not be at least level in a conversation in that moment. So I'm curious about some of the intersections you've you've talked about as well around gender and class. Or I was tangenting away from the actual question, I suppose. But yeah, how you've seen that in invisible devising, you've talked about a number of when those things begin to mount up, it, it really begins to, I guess, feel more intimidating, more ostracizing for somebody. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the reasons I wrote Invisible Divide with Paul Brown was because we recognised that although we both have very similar backgrounds, very similar experiences of being from a working class background and getting saved into a majority middle class church, that our experiences were different because he's a man and I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. um, I think also my singleness probably compounds it as well. Um, and that's something we don't often talk about in church life or we don't talk about it in a way that celebrates singleness or enjoys it or thinks that actually it might be a really wonderful thing despite the fact the bible talks about if you're single you can have undivided devotion to the lord jesus um but so i think there is a real intersection and i think um as a woman particularly you know i'm in the new frontiers family of churches so we don't have women leaders um of churches and things like that so um i i love new frontiers i'm very happy to be in new frontiers but there have been those multifaceted different layers as you said of of just feeling like there are lots of barriers and obstacles um, in my way for making me feel that I fit and that I belong. And like I say, my kind of where I'm at now with that is I still feel like I don't fit. I still feel like I'm different to a lot of people around me in my church setting, in my church group setting, you know, my denomination or, or family. Um, but I feel I belong now because I have a very deep sense that Jesus put me here, that he wanted me, that he called me, he chose me, he predestined me, and that actually that's given me a stability and a confidence that whatever room I'm in, if he wants me in that room, I'm allowed to be in the room, and that it's more about what he wants than what anyone else wants. And so whether it's because I'm single or because I'm a woman or because I'm working class, Whatever those obstacles may be, the fact is Jesus knew all those things about me and he chose me anyway. And so 
I think for me, having a deep assurance in who I am in Christ has been the important thing more than do I fit in in this room? Do the people in this room want me in this space? I think I've had to just learn to kind of put a lot of that stuff to the back of my mind. It doesn't mean I'm never affected. I'm often am, am affected, but I keep reminding myself, no, Jesus knows me. The Bible says God is acquainted with all my ways. He knows everything about me. He knows every thought I have. He knows all my weird little ways, all the things I grew up with that are deeply embedded in my heart and my mind. He knows them. So if he puts me in certain rooms in certain places, even on certain podcasts like this, then I'm going to believe it's because he wants me here. And, yeah, so I think that's what's helped me, though definitely the multi-layered barriers have been difficult and and continue to be difficult in some settings to overcome. There are some rooms that I'm in where I definitely have a sense of I feel uncomfortable in this room because I feel like I don't, I really don't fit in. But that happens less and less I think these days but it still does happen how do people that are hosting those rooms um become more aware that that is how somebody who isn't typically in that space feels and how do we I suppose how do we recognize the plank in our own eye because it's so hard to encounter your own culture as somebody external from it it's so hard to recognize what is going on so how do we become more aware you've spoken a little bit about asking questions but even to become aware that there are questions to be asked what do we do there yeah I mean it's so hard isn't it the question is ultimately how we think differently how do we think and I think it, it starts by I guess even for those people who are listening to this right now actually you've got an opportunity to go okay how am I going to do this how am I going to try and think differently who am I going to bring into my kind of circle of influence as in the people who can influence me who might offend me might challenge me might say things that make me deeply uncomfortable one of the questions I ask myself is how many friends have I got at the minute kind of where I'm really investing in the friendship where if I introduce them to other friends they are likely to embarrass me because it's good it's, let yourself be embarrassed. Come on, what's the worst that can happen? Let your friend say something really offensive to your other friend and then figure it out together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're so afraid of being offended. I mean, we're so, even with our culture and our society now, you know, we live in a day where saying the wrong thing, it's, it's almost like that's become the, the unforgivable sin to say the wrong thing. But how do we have meaningful dialogue? How do we change? How do we let our thoughts and our habits and our behaviors be challenged if we can't say the things that might offend? other people but be mature enough to go what you just said really offended me can I can we unpack it can we talk about it and of course that takes maturity on both sides and we can't control someone else's like willingness or ability to have those mature conversations but I think if we don't try and if we don't create safe spaces for them then we never have them I mean I think my church leader um I'm in Hastings my church leader brought me onto the leadership team here when I was like I, I mean, I wouldn't have brought me onto a leadership team. But one of the things that I love about him is I worked for my church for 11 years. And in that time, I probably, I, I don't know how many times I would have offended him. I'm sure, you know, probably several times every year yeah. of those 11 years. And I love that he let me do that. And of course, sometimes he told me off. And sometimes we had to have some really what we call robust conversations. <laughs> and we've made each other cry. 
And we've had big bust-ups and arguments, but we've come back and we've worked it through. And I love that I was really given that safe space. And I think through that, have learned so much about how other people think. I mean, I think for me, so I've got one friend who is a millionaire, multi-millionaire. I, we talk about our childhoods and oh, they're so different. Uh, it's so different. We've got no way of relating to each other from our upbringings. But actually, we are dear friends because we have Jesus in common. And actually, we have a commitment to poverty in common. So we're looking for those common areas. But then we're also talking about, well, tell me about your life experience. And I think, like I I said, being thick-skinned but Mm. soft-hearted is hard, but it's so important. And I think also, just to think, whichever room you're in, start to think, who's the minority in the room? Start to look around. So I went to a conference last year, and I think there were 160 people there. And there was a delegate list, and I knew from the delegate list that I was the only unmarried person in the room. This was a global meeting of church leaders from around the world. I'm like, how am I the only single person in a room? And and it made that's one of the examples where I felt I don't fit in, and I, it did affect me again because I thought around the world, you know, some of the people there from nations um, in parts of Asia or the Middle East, they are church planting at a rate of that's just dizzying, you know, they'll be like planting 200 churches a year kind of thing. And I'm like, they can't all be married, can they? Like, because how would you have time if you were married with kids? So I'm like, where are they in this room? Because this is a room of leaders from around the world. And so I think for me, if you're in a room like that, it's looking who is the minority, but not just the who can you see on the outside, you know, skin colour. That's important. That's absolutely crucial. But they're going a bit deeper. How can we know? Just speak to people. Ask them. Start to ask people if there's one thing you would change about this, this gathering, this conference, this church, uh, this Sunday meeting, this small group. If there's one thing you would change, what would you change? And like I say, be thick-skinned if the answer offends you and be soft-hearted to let the answer kind of go into your heart in a good way so that you can bring change. Yeah. And I think, I wonder if it works the other way as well. That actually, when you know you're about to be invited into a room where you feel uncomfortable, um, I know from my experience, actually, the you start thinking, how many excuses can I come up with? And I remember it was weird as I, I remember being invited to do this sort of an apologetic TV show for a, a Christian production company, and they phoned me up and they asked me to come on the show and told me about it, blah blah blah. And I'm like, this sounds amazing. Um, but, and the producer stopped me as I got to the butt and she said, can I just tell you something? Every, everyone we have asked to come on this show has said, this sounds amazing, but, um, and then every, every man has said, I'm sure you can give, find somebody more qualified, but I'll give it a go. And every woman had said, I'm sure you can find somebody more qualified. Why don't you ask somebody else? And she just couldn't get anyone to put themselves in a room where they felt unqualified or unsuitable. And it is stuck with me that when I feel that sense of unease, when I know I'm in walking into a room where I am the youngest or the only female or whatever, and I want to walk out because I feel uncomfortable, I have to say, this room will never change if everybody who is currently in the minority never enters this space, yeah. but that is hard, right? Yeah, it's really, it's really hard. And actually I'm going to the same conference that I just mentioned uh, next month. And 
I've already been thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to, how am I going to feel? Am I going to be okay? But recognising that not going isn't an option. Um, but hoping it will be different this year, which maybe it will be, because I actually did mention it to a few people. I mean, one of the good things about my working class background is that honesty and that bluntness where often if I feel something really strongly, even if I determine that I won't let it come out of my mouth, I often find I can't help it. So it might be different this year, but even if it isn't, well, maybe that's why I'm in the room. And I remember even recently, you know, coming to the Evangelical Alliance uh, evangelism task team and thinking, I don't know why I'm in the room and realising oh, I'm in the room because the thing that I'm is making me feel disqualified is the very reason why I need to be in the room. And so, yeah, I agree with you. But it is hard. And I think that's where it's so important we just talk honestly to God about these things when they're painful. Mm-hmm. I think it's so important that we are. I love in Lamentations, it says, pour out your heart like water to the Lord. And I do that on a regular basis in that I've just... I've got to, I've got to go, this hurts sometimes. Like, why are there not more people like me in this room or that room or churches in general? Why are there not more working class people? Why, why is there such a snobbery towards working class people? But also, why is there such a reverse snobbery from working class people as well? And just going, Jesus, you died for a church that is beautiful in its diversity and the unity it has in that diversity. So why am I not seeing it? And I think if I didn't take it to God, I'd just get bitter and I just probably wouldn't be in church or I'd probably be starting my own weird little church, um, which would probably go off the rails pretty quickly and exclude a whole bunch of other people. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think it's so important that we are processing with God. We are time, time ticks by. And I'd love to get the conversation to landing some. I mean, not that we haven't been thinking practically again, but how do we either help create or maintain these communities in which and maintain the diversity. So I guess there is going to be a, a pressure to become more unified. It's it's a benefit of community in one sense. You become a bit more like the people you're spending time with. But at the same time, we want to keep respecting the diversity and holding the tension that we are different. Um, have you any practical either stories or insights as to how, you, how, how we do that well, that we don't get out of the snobbery or the reverse snobbery coming? And hold, and particularly in something like class, which feels like it gets very grey, male, female is maintained. But class people have, I know lots of people who seem pretty well off and educated and saying, but I'm really working class and vice versa. Like people, that's a very grey line that people move around and then links to money and poverty, a thing that we don't always feel comfortable talking about. People like to redefine who they are in these conversations. Anyway, I suppose practical tips as to how we navigate this in communities that maintain a diversity well? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts off on a very small level, which is look at your your individual friendship circle. Have you got friends who are not like you? Um, I think it starts very practically with, you know, if you're in a church meeting afterwards or before, whenever the tea and coffee is, who are you talking to? Do you ever talk to someone who, I don't know, maybe bores you or... There was a guy who used to be in my church um, who, if you saw him coming towards you, you'd sort of quickly get into any conversation with anyone else because you knew if he got you, you were stuck for half an hour. Like, But so what? Like, Let's inconvenience ourselves for the sake of making other people feel loved and valued and whatever. So I think it starts with, who do I just, do I just go and talk to my own friends all the time or will I talk to other people? Who am I hanging out with? 
there's a lot in our society about spending time with people who replenish you and refresh you and who do your soul good even christians we talk like that but well then who's spending the time with people who don't do anyone's soul good because they're totally self-absorbed or they've always got a drama going on or what they're just a pain in the backside you know let's let's inconvenience ourselves have we in our circle of friends got at least two or three people we where actually maybe all we do is give and all they do is take and that's all right actually I would say that's the way Jesus lived his earthly life wasn't it but so I think it starts in those very practical things I think it starts with um inclusivity when it comes to things like say you're going to the cinema with some friends or out for dinner could you invite someone you wouldn't normally invite um and even if that means you don't get precious time with your close friend, can you can you still make space? Can you just do that occasionally? Not every time. But are we just thinking in those ways? And I think it comes to when you're in small group in church, just whoever's in that small group with you, the person who most irritates you is a gift from God to you because they're made in his image, so they must be. So if you can't see, I always say, as God says this to me, if I can't see the image of God in someone else's, they're not the problem I am. And so how can I actually begin to embrace those very people that actually just really annoy me? And they won't stop annoying you just because you decide to do it differently. You've got to give yourself to that and persist with it. So I think for me, that's that's where it practically starts. But I think it's also thinking about the questions we ask people. So, you know, we, we ask people things all the time. I'm like, what do you do for a living? That assumes someone's got a job. Change the question to what's a typical work week look like for you? Because it just gives the freedom to answer differently. Instead of saying, oh, you're getting away somewhere nice this summer. Say, what are you going to, have you got any plans for the summer? It's just a different question. They're very subtle differences. If you want to invite someone around your house for dinner, say, would you like to get a meal together? And then give them the choice of whether that's McDonald's or sitting in front of the TV with tinned macaroni and cheese, which I love, by the way, um, on your, you know, on your lap. Or whether it's going out for a free course meal somewhere really posh or whatever. Do you know, it's, it's kind of, I think for me, the key thing is ask different questions, be more open-ended and make sure that we are spending time with people who may never replenish and refresh us, but we could do them good. And also, though, I would say absolutely expect that they will do you good, but probably in ways you don't expect. Because some often when we give ourselves to other people in that way, we can do it with a sense of superiority and a bit of a saviour complex. I've found whenever I go with that mindset, God always humbles me. He always ends up teaching me more through that person than I. You know, I think, oh, I'm going to teach them. I'm going to help them. I'm going to come alongside them. And God goes, no, 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 you're going to learn a thing or two here. So I think let's be open to that. I hope some of that's practical anyway. Really good. It's really good. Natalie, thank you so much for your time. If people want to find out more about you and about Jubilee Plus, where do they go? Yeah, our website is jubilee-plus.org and they can go on to that. Uh, We've also got our big annual conference coming up, Churches That Change Communities. So if people want to come along to that, all the info's on our website. Wonderful. Natalie, thank you so much for your time and for joining us today. It's been brilliant. Thanks for having me. 
So thanks so much for listening to today's episode. We really hope that you've enjoyed it. If this is your first time to being human, don't forget to subscribe on your favourite platform for podcasts. You can find out more about us on beinghumanlens.com. You can follow us on Twitter or on Instagram. But until next time, take care and God bless. <laughs>